I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Morning, guys. And you are listening to Spaces Podcasts Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. Happy day after Labor Day for those that are uh, celebrating. But uh, today, Jason, I I wanted to tell you I was driving to L.A. to drop off some plants for Submittal. And uh, I was listening to NPR and they were talking about uh, universal basic income and that Long Beach is going to launch a pilot program. Universal basic income. Yes. What in the hell is that? So, uh, so Andrew Yang, who was a president, a Democratic presidential candidate, was really touting this idea, and it's been around for a while uh, prior to him bringing it up. But it was his major platform thing, and what it is is basically that every citizen, uh, in this case, in the United States, would get a check from the government that would cover the cost of living basic living so housing basic food uh what else i think that's really the main two things but it would cover those costs and it got me thinking and then uh also stockton is doing a pilot program of this for like 120 citizens just to test it out and see what the results are so it got me thinking about what what could that do to our built environment if this were a concept that were to go into place. I'm really interested to hear where you're taking this. Any, well, I don't want to get too much, too much into policy 
argument okay. on it, but okay. I just, but I, I do want to get your your initial thoughts, and then if you think it won't work, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> if you think this will have an effect okay. uh, on our built environment, so for me, I think so. One of the the tenets of it, our thoughts of the outcome, is that um, it could pre- potentially create a more entrepreneurial environment because people don't have to just work for the sake of work and getting a check. They can pursue their passions. And in my eyes, it could potentially revert back to sort of this Renaissance, uh, creative sparking types. Yeah. So, so you end (laughs) up with these towns that are much more like, um, the old school main street vibe where it's like live above and your, your workspace is below and, um, creates that sort of environment and any sort of any sort of suburban homes turn more into like having workspace attached to it as well um so it it would i think drastically modify the way that we approach things because the way that you approach work because there's not so much pressure on uh the way that you have to work it would potentially create this groundswell of housing demand because when you work, then you have extra income to move up. So essentially. just just so I understand how this shakes out, because I'm not familiar with the concept. Yeah. You get your basic costs, whatever that is. You get a stipend every yeah. year is what you're saying from the government of some sort. Correct. <clears throat> and then whatever you choose to do above and beyond that is just for additional income. Correct. Huh. Okay. Isn't that welfare? <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be rude. Uh, I mean, so that's, that's another element to it. It removes the stigma of welfare because everyone gets this stipend. Okay. Um, yeah, fair point. And a little bit to the policy side is I think it would significantly reduce bloat of welfare system because there's less people like checking up on people of, are you going to try and find a job? Are you doing There's, there's not all of this extra checking up on people. It's just, everybody okay. gets this stipend. You do with it what you will. Um, it's on you if you mess it up and not use it properly. Okay. So it's a totally different policy discussion than is what you're saying. Yeah. So we're trying to focus on whether or not it would create more beautiful buildings, different types of infrastructure, that type of stuff, because the assumption behind it is then there's not pressure just to get things done per se. Yeah. It's more so to. Everybody has a right to live. So you're not completely getting rid of the capitalistic side where you're trying to create whatever, but okay. Correct. And I thought it was interesting when I started to think more about it, like what the potential and and in a in a larger scope, my thought my mind started to wander of looking at how our economy could potentially be evolving in the near future with considering globalization um automation, we have to come up with some solution to combat these things so with what we're seeing now, the work from home, mm-hmm. you potentially start to spread housing out even more, and mm-hmm. it gets cheaper. People have this stipend. So that relieves, relieves the pressure of having to do a certain type of work. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're making things, the internet allows you to sell globally and mm-hmm. wherever. You don't have to be in a specific location. Um, it got to be really interesting of what does that do to our environment? Yeah, I mean, 
Gosh, that's a that's an interesting idea. Well, I mean, you take some something personally, right? Like you like architecture and obviously what you do, that's why you're chasing it. And also, but you have to make the money. So I guess the question to somebody like you when we're putting our own space would be, would you do different types of projects? Would you be passing on what you're doing right now for, you know, the small little reno, not knocking it mm-hmm. because you need to, you know, you need to pay bills and focus more on something else that you think would be of greater use that somebody might want to pick up. But then I think the, the other thing becomes, I do believe from a humanistic standpoint that people have certain innate drivers, right? So even if I was to say, get basic food and shelter and whatever covered and health and whatever else, I, I wouldn't be able to just sit at home and do nothing. Yeah. I would, I would, I, there's still, I believe at least there's still I think competitive. Most, most people can't. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, to a certain degree, but I think there's a competitive innate nature in some that burns harder than most. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I would probably be still driving to change things and do things and, and do more than the next guy. You know what I mean? Not, not from a, just from a primal perspective, but I also wonder if that, that doesn't create a stagnant nature, right? So if you, if you create, if you have, God, it's a hard topic for me to get my head around. If you have a bunch of people that don't necessarily need to do these things anymore, Mm -hmm. I feel like you're only dealing with a small percentage of people that are going to really want to create these big grandiose things. You know what I mean? There's a very small portion of it, but yet you'd have so many people willing to, to produce a design for it, but so few places for it to go. Does that make sense? like almost like an oversupply of ideas and an undersupply of, of willingness to, to create, to, to actually put it into play. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, yeah. why, why would you, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to take on the risk of a project and do those types of things? If really like, cause there's still the opportunity for more and that's what drives the people that do it anyway. True. hundred percent. Okay. So just to help you kind of get through that hurdle, like in areas where they've already done this and Mm -hmm. variations of this, Mm -hmm. they're finding there's actually no reduction to the labor supply. So people aren't just sitting Sitting at home home compared to if it wasn't uh, happening. Right. Um, And they're finding improvements in education, uh, decrease in crime rates because you don't have to go steal. Steal to make it happen. Right. Improved physical and mental health. Where are they, where are they trying this? Cause I think, I think the improved physical and mental health could be very well due to the lowering of your stress. Oh, for sure. I mean, for, you know, a hundred percent, right. I mean, we know that stress is one of the main causes of so many different health issues for people. Um, yeah. So I, I buy that a hundred percent if you no longer are worried about being able to make a house payment or whatever it looks like, but where are they doing this? Because I think that's the key thing. Like where, where are these studies taking place? So they have, I mentioned they have a pilot program. It's been going on for, I think two years in Stockton in California. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, about a, 120 so people, 25 or something like that. Okay. Um, it's only two years, so I don't know if they have like a whole lot to give in results. Alaska, you know, has always or for a long period of time given a stipend for being there just because they do drilling and to attract people, I think, to live in Alaska. Yeah, otherwise, yeah, why would you? <laughs> uh, Cherokee Native American uh, sites where they have the casinos, they give stipends there. That's a pretty different stipend, though, I think. Yeah, right? that's that's a stipend from the profits of the casino. Yeah, that's not a small stipend either. That's no. It's a pretty massive stipend. Yeah. yeah. Those people are living well. 
Canada, I think, has a program, and Finland, Switzerland, India. Sounds like something Finland would do. I'm just skimming through this without reading deep into it. Well, I think, I think, like, if you try to take it personally, right? So, you know, if I didn't have to worry about money at all, and I didn't have to worry about taking care of a family and doing those kind of things, like, what would I go do? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, I'd love to just coach hockey Mm -hmm. like year round and teach kids and coach soccer and coach, you know, whatever, go teach, to be honest with you. Right. Like I always would have loved. And in some ways I think later on in my career, like I may decide to just go be a teacher. Yeah. Teach like, you know, life skills type stuff. Not that I'm maybe the best person for that, but I just feel like it's something that's missing. Right. (laughs) And I would tell you the reason I have hesitated to do most of those things. A, you know, I'm not sure. I always want to be in business, but B, you know, I, there is a certain lifestyle that I'd like to provide for myself and my family and, and neither of those avenues for the most part mm-hmm. will, will create such. Right. And that's mm-hmm. why I've always been one of those people. It's like, you know, I hate that terminology. It's like, just follow your passion and it'll pay for itself. It's not true. Right. In a lot of ways, it's not, I mean, there's, there's good things you can get out of it, but there's, you know, there's some other potential pitfalls. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I look at that and I say, okay, maybe I could do that. And maybe I would do that. But I, I think, you know, as we'll talk about how small-minded I am, I have a very difficult time even getting there mentally just because I don't want people relying on the government. You know what I mean? Like that's a that's a personal, you know, a personal view, especially with everything that we're going through right now. So it, it just gets a little too socialistic for me, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a pretty large mental block about, you know, against that. So I could see for like an architect or like one of the greatest things ever is like an artist, right? So an architect is an artist in a lot of different manners, right? But when you look back in time, you know, the artist that was just commissioned to do paintings and whatever and and sit there and create, like they came up with some beautiful things, right? Mm -hmm. But the truth is there's only a few that we all really look at as being these masterpieces given that, you know, situation. So how much other stuff was done or not done, we'll never really know. Mm-hmm. Um, and how many great things really came of those types of things, I'm not so sure we, we know either, right? Um, but you make a wonderful point with regards to the, the environment we're currently in, because the time, the timing now from a global economy standpoint is so more, so much more attached and attainable mm-hmm. than, it, than it has been in the last 10 years. You know what I'm saying? So the, the point that you make where you could go live in a very, and we've talked about it as a family, you know, go live in a, a more rural area where, you know, this pace of life is something different. Mm-hmm. You can still be attached. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you just ship all over the world and nobody knows where you're located and it doesn't really matter, you know, for the most part, right. Yeah. Given you're not too far out where UPS or FedEx can't get to you too quick. Right. So I think, I think from that standpoint, you know, it's far more feasible now than it ever has been. Yeah. Um, and so maybe that's why some of these guys are, are trying it a little bit more right now but the funny thing is it the hybrid scenario is really interesting mm-hmm. it's really interesting and i don't know and i'm sorry i'm calling it a hybrid because it's not all government funded yeah. you can still you know there is a government funding but then you still got to pay for it but then where does the government get that money so then you get into that whole thing where it's like then the producers are the ones that are paying that and then you get back to the whole same argument you have currently surrounding other product uh, programs yeah, on in the on the policy side, like I would want if this were to happen, I would want a firm look uh, at uh, the government, uh, 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 the government's becomes... spending, and not necessarily just an added tax to everyone. Like yeah. like that money should be pulled out of the government's this structure or structure. Or it, yeah, um, <laughs> and <laughs> and again, let me yeah. 
And again, let me clarify that the UBI, uh, Universal Basic Income, it's bare minimum. It's like, you know, just to live and just to eat. If you want a certain level of lifestyle, then you got to work to get to that. So um, it's not that everybody's going to be thrilled with that basic income, but it is enough to survive and to have a roof Mm. over your head. Yeah, I guess I guess fundamentally, I don't actually have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. I just don't see any way it would ever work. I think I think that's it. When the real the realistic capability of that comes into mind, I'm like, there's there's just no way. Well, let's let's not get hung up on. Yeah, if you're it right. can work. You said that earlier. Yeah, you said that earlier. <laughs> um, so I do think it could lead people to be more creative or to possibly have less stress and create. Mm-hmm. Right, which is I think your point. Uh, from an architecture standpoint, um, from an education standpoint, um, from a lot of different things. So when you take stress away and you take a, a need to spend X amount of time to do this, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you, you've got to have more ability to create at that point and to come up with, um, could you work more on, like for our industry, right? Could you work more on the 3D printing stuff of homes and whatnot? You know yeah. what I mean? Could you could you try more communities that way, which could actually help this program, right? Yeah. If you think about that. Yeah. Because if you can build product far, you know, more quickly and whatever that fits in the confines of what the costs of this need to be, um, that could really work out. Does it give you time to problem solve other areas that otherwise we might have, you know, you know, in current standards, be like, you know, I don't have time to waste on that because exactly. this is where, you know, you know what I mean. So I think from a holistic standpoint, I think it definitely would create the space for that. Mm-hmm. There, there's no question. And you know, there's people that are think tank people anyways, that are going to, that are already doing that. So maybe what, maybe that's the key. Maybe it brings those people to the forefront even more, you know, maybe they're not even in the forefront right now is yeah. my point. So, so if you, if you're looking at it from going, okay, I've got all my costs or whatever covered, you know, air quote wise, right. I've got all my costs and everything covered. I really want to look, spend some time to figure out the best way to attack this problem. Whereas out of the 300 days a year that I spend, you know, from the eight to five solving business problems, I don't have to do that as much. Let's call it three quarters of the time or two thirds of the time now. And I can look at this portion of it and really bring in the smart people from wherever, look at the different ideas that people have. I I would, I would be naive if I didn't think you would have more access to that. Yeah. Like for me, I know 100% if I didn't have to do, like you said, the the additions here and there, and I could focus on big picture things, I would spend every waking hour trying to figure out larger problems uh, in the world and and new ways to solve them and things like that. And I I feel like a lot of architects went to school for that. And that's not what architecture is when you get out of school. No. So I think you would have an army of people just just looking specifically to that profession. You would have an army of people trying to figure out some of the problems that we've that we're faced with, um, in particular to our built environment. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right. And it would be more passion focused. Right. Which is what I think you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So, I mean, I I guess again, I guess from I don't see how it wouldn't help that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. but, but may, I'm, you know, again, I'm not going to lie. It's a hard subject for me to get my mind around at the moment. Yeah. Um, well, you think oof. about it. We're, now, <laughs> we're, uh, we're running. Maybe about. We hit it again. Yeah. Maybe we can hit it again. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be uh, interesting. So, uh, maybe we can try and get, uh, 
an economist on with us to talk through this one time. But I'd love to hear from our listeners' perspectives of yeah. what what they think about this and, you know, not necessarily that if they think it could work or not per se, but what do they think the possibilities are if we were to figure out how to make this work and make everybody okay with it. What it could generate. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting concept. So um, thank you again for listening. Jason, thank you for joining me. Always. We have an episode coming out uh, tomorrow, which will be on water treatment and water crisis. Jason, you're not on this. You and Michelle are not on this. So um, this is going to be a little bit of a different style episode. So check that out. And then we will see you back here for Express on Thursday. And happy, happy what, Labor Day? Late Labor Day. This will be Late Labor Day. Day. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Thanks again. Talk soon. This show is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star rating and a review on your preferred podcasting app. It helps others find us, and your support is the only way that this show grows. And don't forget to connect with us through our Facebook community, Instagram, and see the random thoughts and articles that we share on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you again for spending some time with us. Talk soon. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. 
you know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.